The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Nine. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzel is joining us on this Monday with Global Commodity Analytics. And it's not too often, I guess maybe lately, we've had the opportunity to talk about this higher wheat trade, Mike. But it looks like once again it's taking over the leader seat. Yeah, and you know, this is an interesting dynamic right now because we did get to feed the bull in the form of the southern hemisphere joining up with some key areas of the northern hemisphere in major countries that are now being impacted by crop drought, uh, Susan. And so we've got Australia being talked about as we jump into the first of this week, and we're jumping into, after tomorrow's close, the end of the month. And the end of the month becomes extremely important for me um, as an analyst, especially technically, because, you know, wheat has always been the the mindset for me, has always been the one to lead the market higher, put the low in first. And now that we've got a really nice kind of V bottom low or head, you know, tight head and shoulders low in the wheat, now that we're back up to 550, do we have any more fundamental juice or anything to drive us above this very strong resistance at 550 in soft red wheat? And that's been extremely good resistance for two if not three years and i would say to you if we can close above 550 that would be um something to keep an eye on because i think we could actually maybe generate itself as a fresh reason for the overall ag sector as grains in other words to go on up another level because we haven't been able to close above 550 on a monthly basis since november 2014 and so australia is a big enough player if we could get a close above 550 by Tuesday's uh, close, I, I would take a hard look at the idea that we maybe have another 50 cents up and can start to put a six, maybe try and put a six in the front of the price of the wheat for the soft red contract. That then gives us the juice to maybe give the corn market the ability in the December contract to get really close, if not a little bit over $4. And you throw on top of that as kind of icing on the fundamental cake is that the dollar is sinking as a lot of central banks will be talking this week and the crude oil is rallying. In fact, it was up 2% in Monday's trade. These are inflationary pressures that are coming into the market and they're good inflationary pressures in that they could stimulate some fun buying. With the spring wheat tour being put to bed, any more of that going to influence the way we see the trade, especially with the uncertainty as to what we're yeah, going to see in crop numbers? Yeah, that's a really good question because there's kind of a hole here fundamentally, and the Australian news was really kind of welcome because we don't have a lot between now and the August crop report by USDA. Now, one thing that I am picking up out of Russia is that they're about 20% harvested. They were moving along at a pretty good clip, but now they have some bad weather coming in. In other words, rain essentially too late to help the crop and maybe would stall out the ability to get the crop harvested. But we still have Ukraine, Russia, and Germany on our radar screen, and even China, northern Manchurian China uh, provinces are still real important. Um, But again, I think your point's really well taken that this is probably more of a row crop issue with weather from here on out, just like it is in the United States than it is the wheat, unless we find something in the spring wheat areas of the United States or Canada. So it's real important, these technicals, and that's part of the reason why, Susan, is what you bring up. Well, speaking of weather, Mike, I think we've been kind of spoiled, especially in areas of Kansas and Nebraska and Iowa over the last couple of days with some cooler temperatures. But you were talking these weather models are going to kind of mix things up a little bit. 
Yeah, we are starting to get hotter in the back end of the weather models. The GFS model is really pushing the heat up. It's in, say, like for Holdridge, Nebraska, for instance, uh, it's pushing 100 degrees next week. Now, the European model's not that aggressive yet. The brand-new European just came out. It's getting us up to about 92 to 94 in Holdridge in the 7-8 day outlook. I, I think it's really important now at this stage after doing a crop tour in the central corn belt over the weekend and talking to a lot of clients around here uh, in this area of northeast Kansas uh, on Monday, uh, it's really important that we finish this crop off because I think what I found in the central corn belt, Susan, was the central corn belt is as good as the crop conditions suggest but it's because of the population and emergence and the weather from May and June more than it is the weather that we've had here in the last two to three weeks. And so it's a real critical time. I think we could have over or up to a 50-bushel national yield in soybeans based upon what I saw in the central corn belt uh, if we finish this crop off strong in August. Uh, for the corn, there is some damage done around the Indiana-Illinois border, uh, but I don't think it's as much uh, or as big as a problem to really offset us from at least meeting, if not maybe exceeding by a little bit, last year's national yield. So I'm going to hold Pat at about a 175, 176 yield for corn. And so with those kind of yield numbers, if Mother Nature is good to us, if we do get this wheat-led rally and inflationary boost from the funds between now and their crop report, that suggests to me get some hedging done. Hedging meaning get some floors underneath you and get take care of your price risk to the downside. And if you're wrong, let the basis improve on you and let the futures market go on higher. But get the floor in, in, in place before we get into the combines. Well, the good news, though, for this whole weather change and everything that's been going on could come to a benefit of this soybean market. It could, and that's when the, that's the biggest laggard. Now, I, I was talking to another fellow today um, about the exact thing we're talking about right now, and you really could cut supply, and that 50-bushel national yield could be wiped off the table with two to three weeks of hot, dry weather. I wouldn't argue that a bit, but I would also go back to the demand side and say China is more vulnerable right now to a financial crisis since that, that I've seen since 2015. And in fact, it's just as vulnerable as it was back in 2015 to a financial crisis, and that means to me a higher dollar, a sharper a dollar to the upside because of a safe haven buy. So we got to balance that supply side with the demand side, given our number one uh, bean buyer is is potentially in in financial trouble with the with the trade issues we're dealing with. Well, we look at um, coming back. We're going to take a look at what's been happening on the livestock side. I wish we had some positive, exciting news to share with our hog producers. We'll talk more about this hog market and what's happening there. A look at the cattle as well. Lots happening. It is the Fontenelle final bell. I am in Denver, by the way, at the U.S. Grains Council. So we'll talk a little trade, too, as well on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzalo is joining us from Global Commodity Analytics and kind of left off with a little bit of a tease there, Mike. I am at the U.S. Grains Council meeting and no surprise, what are we talking in the hallways and in the meetings? It's trade and trade continues to have an effect on what you're seeing in the marketplace. And, and it will continue to because of our number one buyer in soybeans and top one of the top five buyers in just about all the other ag sectors, and that's China. But I do think there's some light at the end of the tunnel here when it comes to the meat sector, especially. You know, we're looking at August hogs now at $63, and I, I was pounding on the drum to get hedges in place and hogs. So I, when I see a 
potential low in the market for the hedgers. I really do want to get that out there um, and talk to producers about that. I think we're there at this point, especially seeing that the weekly kill was below 2 million head last week. So the idea of $63 lead month futures, a VMR price in the central part of the United States, it's probably around 72, 73, and you still can't get 2 million head of weekly production. I think you're probably there in terms of an equilibrium price in the hog market. I don't know if the October hogs have as much up to them, but I think the summer months are, are pretty discounted at this point. So that's a piece of good news. And I think I'm, I'm obviously going to assume, going back to your trade issue, uh, Susan, that we do get a NAFTA deal done by the end of August, 1st of September. And I think the trade hasn't quite yet priced that in. You know, just a few weeks ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and there was already talk and rumblings about this trade and, and NAFTA and saying that, you know, we're probably going to see Mexico and getting that portion of NAFTA taking place before we see Canada. And that was the talk here at the Grains Council meeting that it looks like NAFTA is going to go more Mexico before Canada. That would make sense because you have a brand new leader in Mexico who does not have a very strong foundation yet. Um, he won by a large percentage, but he won on a lot of expectations, very high expectations by the population of Mexico, and they've got a very big issue in their energy industry, uh, their, their government-run energy industry, I might add. It's not private sector in Mexico, and, and he's got to get some stuff done pretty quickly. So I do think he's ready to negotiate. And, and like Canada, Mexico has some weather issues, and I really think at the end of the day, that really helped bring the European Union around to negotiating with President Trump in this EU-U.S. Uh, deal last week. I'm optimistic that as more weather problems are uh, involved in countries that are major grain producers, the more countries will want to come to the table because the last thing they can handle, no matter whether you're China or Mexico or Canada or even the United States, you cannot handle high food price inflation given your population right now. We've grown accustomed to not having high food inflation uh, for the most part over the last you know, generation. They will not tolerate it, in my opinion. And I think the government uh, leaders are very sensitive to that. So in that respect, I'm, I'm more optimistic. I'm not as nervous about um, Canada not coming to the table. They, they are by far our biggest ethanol buyer, but the ethanol market has dealt very well with that. So I wouldn't mind Mexico coming on board. It would be disappointing to see Canada come on board and not Mexico, in fact, when it comes to the grains and meats. So I'm curious, because we've always had such doom and gloom lately for these pork producers. Is there any point of optimism out there, especially when you've got these younger producers who haven't gone through the trade issues that we're dealing with right now? You know, the biggest problem I see, Susan, is that we have been in expansion mode globally when we should have been holding steady on our numbers, and that was before the trade issues came about. We were coming on economically, and the consumption side was looking better and than it had since the financial crisis, but it wasn't looking rip-roaring great, and we were going to have, in 2018, record beef and record pork production at the exact same time. So when I started to see expansion in the pork sector especially, because it's so much more uh, has to compete so much more with the poultry sector, I, I really didn't feel comfortable with that. And then when the trade issues came around, it does limit the upside potential for those newer producers getting in. So you may be able to uh, only lose twenty dollars a head, but are you going to be able to offset that with twenty dollars profit per head 
uh, for six or eight months. And that's what I really have a hard time seeing in the next six to eight month time window right now. Curious, are we going to continue to see some sluggishness when it comes to this cash cattle market? I, I'm going to go against the grain and be contrarian and say I think that the mid 110s, the 115 area, 113 area is fair value, and that's what packers should pay up and, and, and bid up for. I'm going to hold that until we get to the end of next week. And yeah, I think you and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I said I'll throw in the towel as we get into the first week of August, but for right now I'm going to hold pad. And everything that I'm looking at, even the even the kill number, um, being up just a little bit. Our weights are holding steady. The feeder market is pretty firm. I'm going to hold pat with the idea that futures can uh, be led higher by cash. Good. Best way for folks to reach you after the markets close, Mike? Oh, by far. Go to the website and sign up for a trial because right now about my Corn Belt crop tour and showing some really nice pictures. Globalanalytics.biz. All right. That's the Fontenelle final bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.